Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Welcome to episode 74 of the PHP Town Hall uh, podcast, uh, Composer Self Update. Today we're joined uh, by two very special guests who've just achieved a major milestone in the PHP community. Uh, I'm going to butcher your last name, so I'm just going to go with Jordy and Nils. Guys, how's it going? Hey there. Hey. So, um, Jordy, where are you located right now? I'm in Zurich, in Switzerland. Cool. And Nils, you're in Germany? Berlin, Germany. Exactly, yeah. And Ben, you're still alive. I'm still alive. I'm in Boston. Good job. I survived the COVID. So yeah, that's true. Ben, ben, ben fought off the, uh, the COVID-19 a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, I almost had to find a new um, podcast host for this. I'm sorry, Matt. You're looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to becoming the benevolent dictator of the podcast. So anyways, um, we want to kick this off. So Composer just hit version two. Um, it's been around now for about well over nine years or so. And it's always ranked as like one of the top three things that everyone says revolutionize the PHP ecosystem. So when you hear that from other people, like uh, w w how does that make you feel like have you like kind of checked off like a box on a bucket list of like changing the world or do you just kind of, is just like a normal day for you guys? They're so speechless. So no, I think the, pre I think we have to decide on who actually wants to answer first with one of these. Um, but I guess we'll just see like, yeah, exactly. We each one of the other person, you know, you go first, you go first, uh, uh, which I guess uh, kind of ties into this where uh, sure to some degree, it's a bit of a weird, uncomfortable feeling that it's like, Oh wait, like all of these people are like using this and on a daily basis. And, um, but no, at the same time, it just, I think at least for me, uh, it makes me pretty happy to have uh, helped build something that has had such a positive impact on so many people that they do give us this feedback. And it's always great to uh, hear positive feedback like that. Uh, you know, there's always complaints about details here and there, and that's kind of a lot of the daily maintainer work. Um, so it's very nice when people bring this up and lists of uh, this has really changed the world of PHP. This has changed uh, how my development work works, and uh, it's the same for me too. I mean, I can't really imagine working on PHP projects without Composer anymore. Um, so in that sense, I can relate to these statements a lot because uh, I, I kind of feel the same way about the the tool that I contribute to. That's a very good answer. I don't think we need to always each have a go because otherwise it's going to take all night. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So to go back to the beginning, um, you know, like some projects, we kind of know how they got started, like Laravel, Symphony, things like that. Um, how how did Composer like kind of get it started? Because it, it was around before I even started programming. So I don't necessarily know the whole story of Composer. I'm sure other people don't either. So um, was it just one of your ideas and he threw it out to like a, a mailing list and um, 
the other one joined or were you two already like best friends and just decided to work on this together? Um, so it started out, I think, with slightly different ideas than what it ended up being. Um, and for me, the background origin was that back, back then I was working on PHPBB, the forum software, uh, looking into building a new plugin system for that. And at the same time, looking into switching to uh, Symfony, uh, I guess, components then, or like Symfony 2 in general, uh, which was just about to be released. And so I actually met Jordi at a Symfony conference about 10 years ago. Uh, for the first time, uh, before we started doing any of that. Um, and then, so when we say nine years since the beginning of Composer, that's like the first public commit, uh, which was in, in April 2011. Um, I think I started working on a little bit of code that's now part of the dependency solver, maybe in February, um, kind of just privately, and it wasn't really good for anything. And then uh, Jordi, who had known for a bit over a year at that point, uh, really wanted to help with this, and he was really active in the Symphony community. Um, well, particularly regarding the new Symphony 2 version, um, and so he was the one who kind of pushed me to actually uh, make make some of this public or like accessible, so he could help work on it. And then he kind of took that and turned it into more of a usable tool. Nice. Um, what kind of drove you to make it more? Trying to phrase this, there were a lot of dependency manager tools that were framework specific. At any point, were you thinking this would be just a Symphony thing, or were you from the start wanting it to be for any PHP? Yeah. I think the, just the fact that Niels was going at it from a PHP VB angle, and I was more in the Symphony community, we kind of had a, an incentive there to make it work generically and not not bound to either or. Uh, and then the other aspect was that Symphony was also using a bunch of libraries like Doctrine and so on, which had nothing to do really with Symfony and, and had no knowledge of Symfony. So this this had to be just a tool, like not not a Symfony plugin installer like like Symfony One had. So I think it kind of grew accidentally like this, but also yeah, made sense. Cool. Yeah. So um, what from Composer One to Composer Two? Like, what what was kind of like the biggest? shift of the code base? I think there's two, I mean, in terms of the code base, I would say there's like two big things that happened. Uh, one is uh, the networking code, uh, all of which kind of Jordi took care of. Um, anything relating to downloading files, uh, interacting with external um, resources. Uh, and the other part is uh, kind of a structural thing in how um, the core installation process runs. So that's kind of the, the code that handles uh, what happens when you run a composer install or a composer update. And in what order does it do what? Like, how does it call the solver? And what does it do with the output? And at what point does it write a lock file? And how does it actually then start copying things into the inner directory? So, I mean, like, all that's black magic to me. Um, and per personally, like, thank you for doing it because without this tool, I'd be stuck with NPM, and that makes me just want to blow my head off. So before like anything else, just thank you for writing such a great tool. Um, Thanks. What, like, what, with either Composer 1 or Composer 2, like, what was or is the hardest problem you face like on a daily basis with working with Composer? You mean as, a, as an end user or...? As a maintainer. As a maintainer. Like, I mean, I, I don't really... The thing is, like with NPM, like it sucks and it's terrible, and I hate it so much. 
the cool thing with Composer is like, I just type Composer and whatever command I need to run, and it works. And that's honestly like the best part of Composer. Like, I don't have to think about um, an error. I don't have to think about um, searching through log files or anything like that. Like, if there's an error, Composer gracefully handles it. If it doesn't work, Composer kindly lets me know, hey, this is a thing. Or if it works, it just magically works. So, but like as a maintainer, maybe like the, is it like the networking downloads or is it um, telling people to stop being jerks? Like what kind of stuff do you, like is the hardest stuff you deal with um, as a maintainer of the project? I think at this point, because we, we ironed out so many of the kinks and like you say, like we just try to make it work most of the time, like smoothly. I would say at this point, it's mostly just people that come up with really weird use cases <laughs> like that's to me that's the main challenge is like saying no to these people that come up and say like you know i have this thing and i absolutely need it to go to work that way and like nope no you really don't but <laughs> but how do you politely approach that and so on that's that's sometimes quite challenging what's your um what's your infrastructure setup for packages um it's mostly aws like a few machines kind of handling the website and, and, uh, and dumping the metadata. And then we have a lot of mirrors all over the place, which are just synchronizing this metadata. And just uh, those are like kind of read-only Nginx machines, which really don't do much. It's just like pumping traffic out. But, uh... So do y'all maintain packages on top of Composer or like has that kind of been shifted to someone else's responsibility? No, no, we very much maintain that. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, Nils. Yeah, I was going to just explain a bit the, the history of that maybe as well. So sure. the same way that I mentioned how Composer started with like a first couple of commits, uh, I was actually also in spring 2011 uh, that we registered the domain for packages and it was kind of clear that we wanted to set up a separate repository or like, I mean, had to get a repository with a separate name. Um, and we've been operating it ever since. Uh, for the longest time, that was mostly Jordi just uh, owning some single box somewhere, uh, which eventually reached its uh, bandwidth capacity. Uh, so really the main problem there infrastructure-wise is usually just the, the bandwidth, the amount of JSON data that those machines are pumping out. Um, and obviously you also want you know little fault tolerance and, and of course also geographic distribution, et cetera. So um, we started splitting that out more. And the way that we've been handling working on the infrastructure and actually taking some of these bigger steps and spending time with that is that we uh, started working on private packages in 2016, uh, which is a paid service um, that gives you kind of your own package repository, much like what packages.org is for open source packages for everyone. Um, and we use the money that we make with that service uh, to pay for many, many work hours on Composer 2, on maintaining packages.org, um, and making those uh, iterative improvements that we've been working on for the last years. So with private packages, you just brought up a really good point, which is that um, private packages kind of pays for y'all's work on Composer. Is that pretty much what you two do full time now is manage both Composer and private packages, or do you um, also hold down full-time jobs outside of this whole project? No, it's pretty much it's pretty much what we do. I mean, I still have 
historically another job on the side, but not. I mean, it's it's kind of like a part-time situation where I just still work on something else. But but the the work I do on composer is fully like work time. Let's say I don't have to do weekends anymore, which is very good. <laughs> And Nils is full-time on, on cloud packages, Composer, and so on. Yeah, and I think we've split the, the work a bit over the years in that uh, I, like Jordi really handles all the maintenance work, the, the day-to-day GitHub issues and, you know, getting an overview over pull request issues for the next release, building a change log, et cetera. And I kind of just help out step in in places where he's like, oh, like I really need your help here. Uh, this is like something that you probably should take a look at. Like that's some, something you know about really well. And then for Composer 2, I kind of had like some specific areas that I really wanted to make some improvements on. Um, and my day job is more private packages than it is composerpackages.org. Um, and at the same time, we manage to really afford that Jordi mostly spends his work hours just on the open source tools. Um, and, I mean, it helps it out with ups and like a thing here or there on the private packages. We're actually a team of uh, five people altogether now. Uh, we kind of managed to, you know, really finance a position working on open source there. That's cool. That's a really great model, right? Because it's always like a struggle to keep open source going because there's no income coming in. So it's cool that you're able to balance that and actually have sustainable income to support it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're pretty happy that this actually worked out to that degree that, uh, I mean, when we set out, we really weren't sure if this was going to work out to that degree and whether this is going to just provide a little bit of side income to spend a couple hours more here and there. Uh, and I think we're really glad that uh, it did work out to the degree uh, that we're, we're at now. Nice. Can we dive in uh, a little bit to technical details of V2? I guess first, like, why V2 at all? What problems were you trying to solve there? And then what exactly is changing and maybe a little bit under the hood, you know, what, what optimizations are there? What should users expect? And, uh, you know, I'm trying it out. It's much faster. So I think people will be pretty, pretty surprised and happy with that. Shall I start maybe with a bit like a, the, the background of what I kind of focused on? And then I think, Jordy, you can give like a better overview of all the other things that <laughs> happened and changed. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. So, so I think like what, what mattered to me a lot, or I guess my, like, or, Background is that I started working on this dependency solver in the beginning, and that's kind of still like the one area that I really know very well and really that I work on on a regular basis. Um, and so I think my main wish for Composer 2 was on one side, obviously make some performance improvements, memory improvements, because uh, that's always an issue for people. Um, and we've optimized so much in Composer 1 within the framework that like, like what we can do. Uh, that there's hardly anything you can really get out of that anywhere. Um, and so the idea was to make some bigger refactorings that would allow us to restructure um, the, the entire process of how um, the metadata is loaded, uh, how that's then used to construct these graphs that we do dependency resolution on, uh, and then how that gets uh, actually installed in the end um, to allow, uh, first of all, to optimize this better, but second of all, to allow further improvements in the future. Uh, so I think we're, we're not done with that yet. There's like plenty of ideas how we can further optimize, uh, but it required some of these bigger refactorings and restructurings of the, the internal process. Um, and that really is what resulted in the necessity of doing a Composer version two, because this means that 
uh, plugins are going to be incompatible. Um, and then because of that, we kind of decided we're going to have to do a composer version too. There's lots of other things that we'd like to change if we're going to make a new major release that can have DC breaks, uh, even though we try and keep them to the absolute minimum for end users. Um, so for example, like I said, plugins are one thing that really does do have to change a tiny amount. Like it's it's mostly that there can be some interface that are incompatible. Uh, for most part, they work fine. You just kind of have to test them. Um, anyway, so that was kind of the origin of why we started working on a Composer version 2. And then in terms of technical details on the, the part that I focused on, uh, the what I was trying to explain earlier is that we, we factored a lot the process of how installation uh, and update works. And I think what's actually interesting as a user also there is that um, we try to make the process a lot clearer of what a Composer update and a Composer install is. Um, I think that when we set out to build Composer, we sure we had this idea of a lock file, but we didn't quite have a quite as clear a picture of the typical workflows people would have in the end. Um, and so in terms of how the code was structured and built, a Composer update and a Composer install were actually kind of the same function that just depending on which one you use, there's like a couple different flags that allow certain packages to update or not, but it's kind of the same code. And this leads to lots of problems. Like for one thing, it made the code kind of difficult over the time just to work with, uh, but also to weird edge cases, behaviors that you don't expect because um, the, the Composer update process in our view today should really be what takes a Composer JSON file, uh, looks at what are all the remote repositories, which versions can I take, generates me a composer.log file, and then there's the Composer install process, which takes a composer.log file and just looks at the URLs to download files in there and sticks them in the vendor directory, and that's it. Uh, so they're kind of like very two, dis like two very distinct processes um, that do two very different things. Uh, but because they kind of came from this same set, uh, for example, one of the inputs to Composer update uh, in version one um, is what you currently have installed in your vendor directory. Um, this kind of came from before we even had this concept of a lock file or like, and at the same time, it was kind of hard to remove because install doesn't need that, right? Because the, the, the install step where you want to get your vendor directory into the same state as the lock file needs the vendor directory as some kind of input to know uh, which packages are already there, which ones do we have to update, which ones do we have to remove. Uh, but the update process, if it starts taking stuff from your vendor directory, that leads to really weird edge cases where uh, some package doesn't exist remotely anymore or like in your Composer JSON, you made like a typo, but for some reason, a package with that typo actually exists in your vendor directory. And then this generates a valid log file that tries to install some package that doesn't actually exist anywhere outside of your own vendor directory on the machine that you happen to be developing this on. Um, I think the more co most common scenario for this is actually metadata changes. So um, if people move a package from one Git repository to another, um, or like with, with private packages, we have this where like if you mirror certain packages, then this metadata is also stored in the vendor directory. And for efficiency reasons, or which again, during a Composer install makes sense to just leave the vendor directory as it is, uh, Composer update in version one would have actually take this metadata and just stick it back in the log file. So you're really trying to get like the up-to-date metadata for a package, and instead of downloading this from the network, it would just take it out of your vendor directory. So you have to kind of delete your vendor directory to make sure that you can generate a clean log file that somebody else can then use. 
Um, and that kind of stuff was just really hard to fix in Composer version one because it requires these major refactorings and like the order of what, and what all of these things happen. And so as an effect, for example, in Composer 2 now, when you run a, one of your typical Composer update commands, um, instead of previously where you'll just get a list of these are the packages being installed, removed, updated, you will now actually get first a set of operations on the log file. So it'll tell you like this was added to the log file, this was removed from the log file, this was changed in the log file. And then second, it will tell you these packages that now got installed into your vendor directory, this was removed from your vendor directory. Because these two things may not be the same thing, right? Like just because like if your your vendor directory may not even be in sync with the current state of the log file. So when I'm updating like my one package uh, from version one to version two uh, in the log file, it may actually never have been installed in the vendor directory because the last time I ran a composer install was before this was even added to the log file some colleague did that, for example. And so those those two things are just like very distinct processes. And that's a lot clearer in Composer version 2 now. Uh, and yeah, I guess Jordi should fill in a bit more on the other things that changed, like uh, all the networking <laughs> stuff, and all the cool other small features here and there. Um, yeah, so I, I think what you highlighted is, to me, it's, it's actually one of the biggest features is that like the outcome of all this like nerdy internal changes uh, is that things are way more predictable and uh, that's that's really essential because in terms of like bug reports that are impossible to reproduce uh, this this will really help a lot um otherwise yeah we have parallel downloads um both for packages which is like something like prestissimo used to do as a plugin uh but also for the metadata so that that means really like Updates will also be much faster. Um, a bunch more internal changes there to the metadata, which yeah should lead to hopefully improvement in in like bandwidth and and so on. Um, together with that, we also do like because we download things in parallel. Uh, it actually makes more sense to download all the things and then install them. So that means that when you run a composer install, it actually should do like all the network stuff it needs to do first including like git repos if you if you have things installed as a, as a git clone it will go and like do a git fetch and all of these just to make sure like you have all the stuff needed to to be ready to install and when that happened it actually does the installation on disk so that theoretically i mean unless you know things can still go wrong sometimes but it's like, in most cases the problems happen with network um, so that means in most cases you should have, if, if a problem happens, it's going to happen before it touched the vendor directory. So you don't end up in a, in a weird state where you like updated half the packages or, you know, something got removed and like it couldn't install again or something like that. Um, so that's also like just overall reliability is, is much better, I think. Uh, and then finally, I think the, the last big one I would highlight is, um, error reporting so the the solver when resolution just cannot happen and you have conflict somehow uh, we worked really hard on trying to improve the improve the output there and just making sure that the stuff is a little bit more readable a little bit less of a wall of text of like cryptic web messages which you know like you you, you mentioned in the beginning it's nice it's helpful but for a lot of people, it's too much, and it's actually like they just don't read it. They they see this and they're like, eh. Um, and either they're like just 
it's a sad day at the office or they report an issue and we have to tell them what, what happened. So we tried to improve things in a way that they can help themselves a little bit more. Uh, that obviously has to be proven still <laughs> whether it will be successful, but uh, I'm hoping. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's tons of smaller things, which, um, I mean, smaller or bigger, I'm not even sure anymore. Like the, the list is growing, like it's, it's getting insane. I published a blog post last week. If if you want to go, you can you can go on uh, blog.packages.com. Um, and the last post there is the, this update on, on Composer V2. Uh, it, it includes like also the the link to the change log and so on. So I guess if if you're really interested in you know getting the full picture, that's that's the best place to go. Um, I think to just get back to what Ben already said. Um, so I think one big uh, improvement is going to be performance. Um, there, it's going to be difficult to say exactly how much this improves what and where because there are like a lot of different factors in play. Um, there's the whole parallel downloading of metadata packages that Jordi spoke up, which is going to make a huge impact for a lot of people where this is kind of network constrained, or that's typically the case with composer commands. Uh, but then there's also the, the issue that a lot of people face with the amount of memory consumption. Um, and that's been improved through a couple different steps. Um, on one side, through the changes to how the metadata gets loaded, um, to some of the, the optimization steps that we've added that we can do now that we've restructured the code, um, some of the internal changes we've made to the solver. Um, and another one that I think is kind of cool that might actually be like understandably like something that we don't have to like dive deep into some code now is actually that um, because of how we've uh, restructured this, uh, it's a lot easier for us now to um, optimize partial updates. Uh, so partial updates are this thing where you run composer update with a particular argument, right? If you're just trying to upload one package or like five packages, or you can use the, the with dependencies flag to update one particular package and its dependencies. And most importantly, actually, this is also what's run under the hood if you run composer require for a package name, which is very commonly used now. Uh, like if you use the composer require command to add a new dependency to your project, uh, what it really kind of does is just it edits the composer JSON file to add this dependency in there and runs a composer update just for that particular package and optionally its dependencies depending on the flags that you use. Um, and previously, like that kind of an update would, in, in terms of performance, memory consumption, be kind of exactly the same as if you just did a comp full composer update across the project. Um, but now, because we've remodeled, like what are the inputs to a composer update command versus an install command, it can actually um, very strictly tie all the packages that are not being updated to only the state that exists in the log file and will never even make network requests to get updated information on the other packages. Uh, we'll never consider any of the other versions in the dependency solver, while previously the dependency solver would have to actually figure out like, well, there's all these other versions, but oh, we actually just want to keep the one that we already have. Okay, let's skip all the other ones, uh, which in terms of memory, you can imagine will make a huge impact. Um, so while this doesn't itself improve Composer Update, this particular thing, it will impact, I think, the experience that a lot of people have because you either run Composer Require more frequently um, or when you update, you don't really update everything at the same time in a lot of cases, but you really do want to update like one particular package and its dependencies. Um, and so there, actually, we're going to see like huge improvements 
Um, even with the general composer update for everything, I've seen some reports now, pretty big projects that report somewhere like 50, 65% uh, memory reduction, performance improvements, uh, some, some even higher than that. Um, so, and then a partial composer update is going to be even a lot more than that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing more people actually try this out and getting a few more numbers, because this will depend a lot on this particular project you're working on. Um, and, you know, what our tests show is not necessarily what you'll end up seeing in real life. So I'm kind of really curious to hear from more people testing Composer, how that goes. That's awesome. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. In my testing at work, it saved about 20% off of our Composer install time. Just with a fresh sure, Just the Composer install? Or yeah, just like with the lock file present? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there you're mostly benefiting from with the parallel downloads then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even using like an older uh, package server, right? It's not packages. Yeah. So that's kind of what I mean. It's like depending on which part, like, you know, if you're running Composer install or Composer update, if you're running a full Composer update or Composer update, just for some packages, like your performance changes are going to vary because uh, there are a lot of different elements that get run for each of these different commands, depending on the situation that you're running in. Um, so this, it's kind of difficult to just give a, you know, here's the number for how much faster it is, because it really depends. Cool. What's your release plan for this? I know you're in like a beta stage now, right? So what's kind of the plan for what's next? Um, I think that, I mean, the bottom line is it's really always just when it's done, but um, I'm hoping within like a month or two, we can get to a stable just because at this point, it's, I mean, unless anyone reports really critical issues, it seems to work fine. I mean, I've, I've been using it uh, on my projects like for, for months, fixing tons of edge cases already like that. So, uh, I mean, we now see like, I don't know, I checked yesterday, I think uh, it was like 0.6% of, of updates happening via, via Composer 2, which is not yet much, but uh, but it's still like, it's big numbers, 0.6% of big number is still quite something and so i would say it, it seems to be working mostly fine um as we are we were not seeing an onslaught of, of issue reports so yeah i think it's it's really mostly about getting a last couple of features in that we want to get in and uh just stability fixes and then we should be good to go so you said the main BC break with this is plugins, right? Are there any really popular plugins that you're working with to get upgraded or that you're worried about this breaking? Um, so so actually that's that's what I was just about to mention is that is that I think the stability of Composer itself is there, but the problem is getting the stability of the ecosystem, right? Like this because of all these plugins. Um like if, if your project uses any of the plugins and you you run a composer update with V2 right now, most likely there's just no available version of the plugin for V2. So you're going to get a, a conflict saying, hey, you know, some package wants composer plugin API 1 and you're using 2, so that just doesn't resolve. Um, so I, I emailed like a bunch of plugin authors a few weeks ago. Possibly a month ago at this point, uh, I just looked at like the top I downloads. Um, I don't remember how many, like top fifty or something, and and emailed most of them. That didn't really help, <laughs> to be honest. 
but I mean, it's you know how it is. Like people are busy, and it's also kind of weird times with with all this COVID nineteen. It's it's you know things are not running as as they should, and so it's just taking taking a while. And uh, I think I've seen like some people starting to to send pull requests uh, as well to to plugins. I've myself sent a couple to to things that were blocking for my projects, um, and then I think yeah, I mean we're we're there to help as well. Like we've definitely talked with some some plugin authors and helping out where where we can. We can't update them all because it's just like a ton of them. But I think getting getting the most popular ones uh, ready to migrate would would already get most of the people in a in a spot where they can move to V two easily. I think that um, they're like basically if you're using Composer pretty bare bones, either without plugins or like like some pretty basic ones, or um, then you're going to have like a pretty smooth experience. You're not really going to notice that you've upgraded. And I think that's kind of part of the explanation for why there's actually already that many Composer 2 users, even though there's no release, right? It's just like snapshots that we're currently building, um, is that usually the transition is very smooth. Uh, but there are going to be a couple, or I think that's what we need testers for now, is there's going to be these particular niches. So I think one of the first ones we ran into is that in the Magento world, um, there's a particular practice around uh, how they use a, like their, they have their own Magento composer repository instead of packages.org for a lot of the Magento packages. Um, and so they kind of helped us uncover a particular behavior change that uh, was Probably have been fine for pretty much everyone everywhere else. Maybe there would have been a couple edge cases here or there, but that just really didn't work for their use case. Um, so we added like a couple new config options um, for them to be able to uh, make those this work in like a similar way to Composer version one. Um, but that said, I think like the large majority of PHP developers isn't really going to have to interact with these. Uh, but that's why also as we get more tests now, we find a couple more of these. I guess niches which have very specific workflows or that use uh, some kind of tooling that in it that itself accesses Composer uh, or like the generated files by Composer in some way that we are not aware of um, that we're just finding out about now. Um, those are really the only places where upgrading has a bit of a hurdle. Um, like by default, like Composer JSON does not need to be edited. Your log file will install just fine with Composer two if it work with Composer one. With always the one caveat, as long as the, the plugins are actually so to kind of like you you touch on it there for a second with like the whole Magento issue. Is there any sort of like long term support for compose for any Composer one version, or are you really hoping to get as many people migrated up to uh, version two um, and then move forward from there? Um, so we're we're definitely hoping to get everyone migrated like as soon as possible. Um, there are a few aspects to that. Is that I mean, the first one is maintaining two versions is a pain, like both for, for just dealing with the code, but also already now we're seeing like issue reports are coming in and people don't mention which version they're using. You know, it seems to make sense or not, and like it's it's just having these two major versions which behave very differently is just uh, it's just very confusing. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is. Uh, packages.org, which we really don't want to keep maintaining the, the V1 metadata for ever, basically. So, 
it's an LTS kind of thing where we're talking about years, definitely not. I mean, if, if we can avoid it, uh, it's not going to happen because it's just it's just pain for, for no, no gain. Um, and so, yeah, I think like the, the, yeah, the other main thing we did for that is that V2 actually still supports PHP 5.3, which these days is kind of crazy. Um, let's be honest, like it's 2019, 20 now. <laughs> uh, I'm still in 2019 now because of all this COVID-19 stuff. Uh, <laughs> But it is 2020, and um, and like PHP, I don't know, like seven one has been deprecated. I think uh, AOL last year. So people still relying on on five three is just like it's just insane, right? Uh, but there are still some, um, and so yeah, we just wanted to keep supporting them just to make sure that everyone gets a migration path up to V two, uh, at least to two point and then what's most likely going to happen is that 2.0 becomes kind of the LTS version uh, for these people where we do bug fixes and then 2.1 or 2.2 at least uh, would move on to, to support only like PHP 7.2 plus or something like that. So with um, PHP 8 now on the horizon, is there any features that you really hope to take advantage of in the coming versions? And would that kind of prompt you to bump up to another major version or are you hoping to kind of keep that still in the v2 uh realm i think the way i always like to explain this is that composer you know like how do you upgrade to the new php version like the tool you're using to do that is composer because you need to upgrade all your libraries to be compatible etc so like we kind of try to be behind the wave there a bit just to be able to really support people with uh, upgrading uh, all their dependencies to be able to use new PHP versions. Uh, so, you know, we're like, like Georgie just said, we're still working with PHP 5.3 right now. You know, like you can, like an array still has to be created using the array function and stuff like that. Uh, and while, yes, we're looking forward to not having to do that anymore, uh, we're not going to be using any PHP 8 features anytime soon. So to kind of switch topics, you know, uh, Taylor is kind of always like the BDFL of Laravel. Who is the BDFL of Composer, and why is it Jordy? <laughs> no, I think we're doing a fairly good job of communicating on things. And <laughs> so, I mean, uh, with that though, like, how, how is it working uh, together, both like remotely in a normal situation, and also with like the whole virus going on, like? Do y'all have a, a standard workflow that you follow as a company, or is it just kind of everyone works when they can, gets their things done, and then goes on with their day? I mean, as a company, I think we're all used to working remotely anyways. Like, uh, we're kind of spread out to begin with, so uh, the situation right now is not that new. Uh, there is a, a tiny office that we have in Berlin that's really only used by, I guess, two slash two and a half for us. <laughs> it's only other once in a while, uh, which we're not using right now. But uh, yeah, like the, the process hasn't really changed a whole lot from what we usually do. And so um, if someone really wanted to support Composer and packages and y'all's efforts, is it, would you put a, a higher value on like someone signing up for private packages or trying to help triage issues, contribute code, and things like that on the open source side? 
I mean, I think it depends. Uh, I mean, on one side, what, what are you able or willing to give? <laughs> you know, if like what you have available is time, then we appreciate the time. If what you have available is money, we appreciate the money. And I think we always say that the the, the issue or like the the reason that we need to finance this project uh, is not because you know we have like an expensive server somewhere or because there's like I don't know bandwidth cost too much money. Um, that's really very little money compared to how much money it costs to have you know developers paid for their work. Um, so the 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 issue is really time. So in that sense, if you have the time to contribute, please do. Um, if not, the next best thing is to provide us with the financial support to spend that time on your behalf. Um, so private packages. Um, uh, that said, I think uh, we. I think I actually with Composer two coming out, I don't know, at least from my perspective, it's been pretty cool to see a couple more people uh, contribute uh, either small new features or like kind of work on some of the the open issues. Uh, we do try and mark some of them as uh, like easy to start with a project with. Um, it's it's been kind of cool to see a couple more people contribute again. Nice. Um... I think that's really all I had. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Any parting words or anything to encourage people to try out Composer 2? Um, also, are there any docs updates that are coming out? I see the blog post kind of list the new features, but is there any mm -hmm. certain place everyone should go to to see what's new? No, I mean, docs, I was, I was just working on, on a document earlier about a couple of new features, which I noticed were really not mentioned anywhere. Um, but I think most most things are kind of you know new flags to command here and there and stuff like that. It's it's like there are not that many really major new features that would warrant like a big documentation page. But yeah, I would say look like having a good look at the change log, which I realize is is getting harder and harder because it's it's getting really long. Um, but that that's really the best the best way to go. I think. And I think otherwise, there's the upgrading document that Georgia wrote as well, uh, which right. definitely helps with focusing on the things that actually, I guess, matter to you as you upgrade. So while it doesn't highlight like a, a cool new option you can use to do something somewhere, uh, it will tell you about other things that really you should know about, um, depending on whether you're just a, a user of Composer, whether you're a plugin author, or if you're running your own Composer repository. Yeah, cool. All the breaking changes. And For anyone who wants to try it out, it's just composer self update dash dash snapshot. Is that right? Yep. For now, that's it. Um, I'm hoping to push the first alpha or something next week. Uh, so at that point, just dash dash preview would become the, the new, like most stable option, let's say. The snapshots are always available, but uh, the preview gets you like the pre releases tags. Cool. Yeah, so um, in case you don't drop this for the next three and a half weeks, if Ben gets lazy, Jordy's talking about the first week in May, give or take. Oh, you. Right. So, <laughs> you never know. Ben might get sick. I might get sick. One of us, that kind of thing. Uh, so where can everyone... already out, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jordy knows where can everyone find, if they don't know already, where can they find you online to kind of get updates for all this stuff? I guess there's a few different places. There's packages account on Twitter, which will help. There's our personal accounts, Seldaic and Netherman. Um, the I guess for like the the big announcements, we're going to use blog.packages.com, uh, like with the development update. I'm sure once we actually do some big releases, uh, we'll have another blog post on there with like a summary of what what really changed. 
Um, so those are probably the best places. Uh, and then if you want to see a few more details, uh, you know, GitHub. Uh, take a look at uh, the, the issues. Take a look at what's going on in pull request if you want to try and get involved in any of those things. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think on the Get Composer website at some point we'll have uh, like the. I mean, the change log is on there anyways, but um, we'll probably have like some kind of overview over migrating from one to two slash what's new uh, as well. That doesn't exist yet. Cool. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for um, taking some time out of your day, night, to come hang out with us. Um, congratulations again on the V2, and we look forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks.